Well, a huge thank you to our NextGen team for praying for our students, families, and teachers as you go back to school. And I want you to know we're going to keep praying for you. We're going to keep lifting you up throughout this school year. And of course, if there is anything that we can pray specifically for, we would love that opportunity. You can click that prayer button or send an email to prayer at thriveglandora.org. And we would love the chance to pray over you, to pray for your family, whether it's related to going back to school for any reason whatsoever. We would love to pray with you. Well, hey, we're continuing in our series, Made to Thrive. We're a few weeks into this series, and uh, I believe that we've got a, few, a couple, couple, maybe even three more weeks to go. I think the Lord is speaking to our hearts through this series. I know he is to mine, and I'm so thankful for the word of God, the timely word of God, as he builds us up, as he lifts us up. And my, my theme today, my message today, really even focuses on the home. As we look at going back to school, uh, I want to talk about what it takes to thrive at home. Thriving at home. What does that look like? In fact, the title of my message today is, that, is this, Thriving at Home Takes a Team Effort. Thriving at Home takes a team effort. I know if you've ever played on a, a sports team, many of you I've, I am sure have. If, if not, you've actually watched a sports team. Uh, maybe you, you follow the Dodgers, way to go Dodgers with that 16 inning game last week. Holy cow, that was incredible. Uh, maybe you're a football fan, maybe, uh, maybe I don't know, whatever, hockey, whatever that sport would be that you love. You know what it means to be a part of a team and to put in team effort, to, to work together as a team to make something happen or to achieve a goal. And really, thriving at home is a team sport. It takes team effort to see that come about. And I want to talk about that a little bit further today and unpack that a little bit. One thing I know for sure is this, is that every home is different. Every single home is different. And so uh, we can't paint with the same brush as it were. We have to consider that every home is different. Whether you're single and you live on your own uh, or you're single and maybe you have roommates or you, uh, you're single and you live with family. Maybe you're married. Uh, maybe you're married and you have kids and Maybe those kids are little kids. Maybe you're having your first children uh, being born into your home. Or maybe you're like uh, my family where our kids are older. My, my baby, my daughter, just started her last year of high school. And so our kids are on the tail end of being in our home and we're moving towards empty nesters. And maybe that describes your situation. Maybe uh, you're an empty nester, your kids have moved on, or maybe your kids have gotten married and now you're uh, maybe a grandparent. So it, you see my point. Every home is different. We also understand this, that uh, there are broken homes, situations where homes uh, are, are not ideal or in an ideal situation. We, we know in our nation that the statistics relating to divorce are through the roof. And that's for both people who would confess faith in Jesus and those who don't, that those statistics are about the same for, for people who, who confess to be 
Christians. And so divorce is wrecking homes, wrecking marriages all around our nation. Broken homes because of abandonment, about uh, broken homes because of abuse and neglect, homes that are facing challenges because of illness uh, and infirmity, uh, maybe maybe homes that are struggling because of financial issues and financial lack. Uh, we have homes that are blended families, families, um, maybe two parents who have children from previous marriages uh, where you've come together and you've gotten married and now you have children in the same home but from different parents. Uh, and you have homes and situations where not everyone in the home uh, does it, not everyone in the home knows the Lord. Maybe one spouse is a believer in Jesus and the other one isn't. Or maybe parents are believers and children aren't. So again, my point is this. Every home is different. And so when it comes to talking about thriving at home, we have to take that into consideration. Yeah, at the same time, there are biblical principles that apply to all situations and all circumstances. And it's the thing that I love about God is he is bigger, that he has more wisdom, he has more understanding than any of the situations and the circumstances, whether, whether intact or broken, whether th- just doing well and in a sense thriving or, or places where we're struggling God is not thrown off, that he is not confused, he is not wringing his hands, that his solutions, his answers, and his word, uh, and, and the power of his spirit can work and be at work in any situation, in any home situation. And so I want to explore, not just today, possibly over the next couple or even three weeks, what it looks like to thrive at home and looking at some of the biblical principles, what God's word says about thriving at home. As I already mentioned, though, in the title of the sermon, thriving at home takes a team effort. And it's really true. It takes a whole family. It takes, it, it, it takes everyone in that home situation to work together See, we have all of this complexity, all of this complexity that comes into our home circumstances. And with that, we can really ask the question, how can we thrive at home? How can I thrive at home with all of the complexity of life? Of course, in the world that we're living in and the things that are going on around us in the world, uh, being in the middle of a pandemic and all of the cultural and social issues that we face as a nation, all of the brokenness that we see around us, we have to say, okay, how can we thrive at home? There's this clip out of a movie I want to show you. It's the movie Apollo 13, of course, based on the launch of the Apollo 13 rocket that was supposed to go to the moon. These three astronauts who had set their sights, set their, their eyes on landing on the moon, walking on the moon as others had done before them. And, and so the Apollo 13 uh, rocket launches into space. And as, as these astronauts are going through the, the, the process of getting ready to, to go to the moon, they realize that there's an issue, there's an explosion that takes place that damages the spacecraft. And, and in the midst of that, they start uh, losing oxygen, too, too much carbon, carbon dioxide that is being breathed into the space. And and so they're facing a life and death situation. So take a look at this clip, uh, and then we'll unpack a couple of thoughts about it. Gene, 
We have a situation brewing with the carbon dioxide. We had a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb. Which are meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor. They're already up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15 and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. The ones on the limb are round. <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation. It just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are going to be getting toxic. Well, I suggest you gentlemen invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Rapidly. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs handed us this one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this. Using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay, let's build a filter. Better get some coffee going, too, someone. I love this clip. I love what we see happening here. Here's this crew down on Earth, uh, connected to, to the astronauts up in space by, via radio, and they're having this conversation about what needs to happen. And so this team of experts comes together and says, here's the issue we're facing. And this is, this is dire. This is a dire circumstance. And so the, the charge to them is this. We've got to figure out a way to clean the air. And as you saw in the clip, they have to make a square peg fit into a round hole. Uh, and, and this team then dumps out on that table all of this gear. Later on in the movie, they would actually say that they can't use, they, they can only use what they know that the astronauts have. They can't use anything that the astronauts don't have because, of course, the solution wouldn't work. And so they dump all of that onto the table and they say, this is what we have to work with. We have to come up with a solution. And spoiler alert, they figure it out and they get that crew back to Earth safely amongst many challenges, a lot of the things that they had to go through. Uh, and for some of you probably just lit a spark and you're like, I have to go watch that movie again. It's a, it's a great movie. Just watched it again recently myself. But here's the thing that's so amazing in this clip. The important thing that we have to remember is that they didn't try to solve the issue alone. It wasn't one engineer sitting in a room by himself going, how, how do I do this? How do I figure this out? There, were, there, were just, there was a team, not just the people in that room, but there were others, other astronauts that were working the problem, trying to figure it out. Here's the thing. In our homes, we often face impossible circumstances and situations, don't we? We come up against things that, that we just go, I, I don't know how we're even going to start figuring out how to solve this issue. Things that, that come at us as curveballs. We can go through life uh, feeling like we've got it all together. And in a moment, everything changes. In a moment, everything changes. I think back to last year, back in March, when the news about coronavirus and was starting to come out and we were hearing about it more and more. And within the span of the, a week, it went from being a news item, something that seemed so distant and far away to having very real impact on our lives to, in fact, as a church, one Sunday we were packing up church at Sellers Elementary School, not knowing that by the next Sunday that we wouldn't be back. 
that we wouldn't be there. And we faced those issues in our home. All of a sudden, we were working at home. We were, our kids were being schooled at home. We weren't able to go out and be in public as we usually were. It was an impossible situation, just as an example of one thing. But I'm sure in your home, as in mine, we faced all kinds of things. We've faced all kinds of challenges where like this team at NASA, you go, I don't know how we're going to fix this. I don't know how we're going to bring a solution to this. And those issues, those struggles, those challenges can really upset and bring all kinds of damage into our home. But as with the engineers at NASA, we cannot and we must not try and figure this out at home, alone rather. We have to do this as a team. And so I'm going to talk through some of the different points, uh, starting with just one main point today, and we'll move on to the next point next week, about how we do this together as a team. And so my first point in, in this series or in this message is this, that we have to invite God into our home. We have to invite God into our home. And this is absolutely a team effort. We have to invite God into our home. This actually may seem like a silly thing to say. It might seem like a silly thing to say because you could say, well, isn't God already there? God's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And that is absolutely a true statement. His presence is everywhere all the time. However, the practice of his presence, the awareness in our lives of the presence of God is a different thing. Just because he's there doesn't mean that I'm acknowledging his presence or inviting his presence to have an impact in my life and in my home. And so we need to make room in our homes and in our lives daily for the presence of God. That we need to actively invite God to be a part of our lives and to be a part of of our, our homes. You know, one of the things that we've done, especially in Western Christianity, is we've really emphasized, and I would even argue overemphasized, the personal relationship with God. We use that term. I have a personal relationship with God. And indeed, you do. It is a personal relationship with God. You come to salvation by personally confessing faith in Jesus Christ and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and declaring with your mouth, right? That this is a personal thing that you do. But the ongoing relationship you have with God isn't just your relationship. We're built for community and God is a part of that community with us. So it's not all there is. The personal relationship is not all there is. In fact, so often I believe that we create spiritual islands. We become a spiritual island where my relationship with God is just that. It's my relationship. And I don't let anyone else into that realm and into that world. Listen to what the writer of, uh, writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
Solomon's saying here that to be alone is not a good thing. In fact, God says back in the, in, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis that it is not good for a man to be alone. And he wasn't just talking about providing a spouse or helpmate for, for Adam. There's a bigger thing going on here that God recognized that he has designed us for community. Well, he didn't recognize it. He intentionally built it into us. We are designed for community. We are designed to be in relationship with God and with each other. And that those connections, those relationships are tied to each other. And so Solomon says two are better than one. Two are better. You're going to have a better return. You're going to be able to, to help each other get up. I love that. If one falls down, the other one can help them up. But pity the one who falls. Have pity on the one who's alone, who doesn't have someone to help them up. Two can provide warmth for each other, but one person can't provide warmth just for themselves. And I love this part of it. Two, one may be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. That picture of standing back to back and being able to face the issues and face the, the obstacles and face the onslaught of life together. And then he finishes by saying a cord of three strands. Now he goes from two and he goes to three and he says a cord of three strands. And uh, of course, we see in, in weddings so often there'll be that, that cord. Some couples will opt to, to weave together uh, a cord of three strands with one cord representing uh, the, the husband, one representing the wife, and then the third, of course, is a representation of the presence of God. But we've got to move beyond symbolism. We've got to move beyond a, a, a cute expressions, and we have to understand that it is absolutely true. That two is better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That we need each other, and we've been designed for relationship with each other and with God. And the place, the epicenter of that, by God's design, is the home. It is the home. Now, it doesn't matter what your home looks like. That description I gave earlier, there's all kinds of different homes. God's design, though, and his intent, his ultimate intent, is that this would be what would take place in the home, that the relationships that exist within the home, and, and, and we, we live pretty isolated lives in the West, even within our own homes, our own families. You know, for, for the Lord, in, in looking in, in, in Jewish culture and looking at ancient, uh, ancient cultures, is that the families were the extended family. It wasn't just a handful of people. There was a lot of people involved in that. And that's so often not the case for us. But, but God's design is that his presence would be at move, uh, on the move and be at work within the people within our household, as Paul would say, within that home structure, that we would be a support to each other. So what does this look like? practically, what is inviting God's presence into our home? What does it look like to say, God, I want you to be a part of my home. I want you to be a part of what's happening in, in my home. God, I want you to bring about a thriving in my home. Well, what we could do is this, is that we establish rhythms that invite the presence of God, healthy, regular rhythms that, as, that help us to not forget, essentially, is what it is, because we forget. We get busy. Come on. 
you get busy, I get busy, life gets busy, or we get distracted. It's kind of two ends of the spectrum. We're so busy and we're so on the go, or we're so distracted and we're so exhausted. So we plop down on the couch, we turn on TV, we're, you know, we're scrolling through Netflix or trying to find the next thing to entertain us or soothe us or distract us. Or we're just busy working, busy going to school, busy doing whatever it is. We need healthy rhythms to help us remember that God's presence needs to be intentionally invited into our home. So we need rhythms of worship and prayer. Rhythms of worship and prayer, whether that's actively worship and and maybe even singing in your home, or if there's worship music just playing in your home. And, and having rhythms of prayer, finding times to pray, not just individually, even though that's important. Having that personal prayer life is absolutely important. But finding places and times to pray with the members of your household, whether, whether that's your spouse, your children, uh, if, if, you're, if you're single and you live, live with other believers, find times to pray over your home, to, to worship within your home. Um, one of the ways that we invite the presence of God into our homes as, as parents is this, is discipling our children. It's one of our primary responsibilities as, as godly parents, as parents who honor the Lord, is that we would raise our children in the ways of the Lord. It is our responsibility as parents to disciple our children. In fact, our team, our next-gen team with Thrive Kids and Thrive Youth, we want to pour into your children. We want to invest in them. But can I tell you right now, Rosie and Tyler and Annalise and Pastor Deb, their job is not to disciple your children. Your job, your calling, your mandate from the Lord is to raise godly offspring, to to pour into and invest in your children. And I want to tell you right now, we want to be the wind in your sails. We want to resource you. We want to equip you to be the best disciplers on the planet that you would be able to, to pour into and invest in your children. And if there's ways that we can help you, if you have questions, please let us know. We'd love to have those conversations with you. But here's the thing. It is a parent's responsibility to disciple their children. That is a way that we invite the presence of God into our home is by investing in our children in very intentional ways when it comes to talking about the things of the Lord. We, we bring rhythms of, uh, of inviting the presence of God when we commit to Sabbath and to rest, finding times just to stop, just to stop and just to be, to listen to slow down long enough to receive from God what it is that he wants to speak to us. It's no secret that we live in a fast-paced world. It's amazing to me that even in the midst of a pandemic over the last year, how busy we could get even in the midst of lockdown or stay-at-home orders or whatever, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of limited travel, we were still so busy find place for Sabbath rest, find place to stop, not just individually, but make a commitment as a family to say, when are we going to stop? When are we going to rest? A huge part of that is eating together. 
we as a family, we've tried to, as we've been raising our children, Megan and I really worked as much as we could to make sure that we were having regular meals together where we would sit around the table. Because as we broke bread, as we see all throughout scripture, when we break bread, there's a connection. There's a face-to-face connection. There's a heart-to-heart connection. There's spiritual conversation that comes about at the table and we're able to press into each other's lives. Can I implore you, if, you, if you, you're part of a, a home structure that has small children or, or uh, maybe teenagers and youth, children that are still under your covering, would you make it a priority, not just to rest, but to sit and eat together? You'll be blown away by the things that you hear coming from your children and the opportunities you'll have to pour into them. And then I, I just touched on the next one here in my list is spiritual conversation. Engage in spiritual conversation. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying have hyper-spiritual conversation. And, and that might sound like a, a fancy word, but hyper-spiritual is when you're taking, taking biblical principles and you're just kind of throwing them at someone that so often just results in an argument. Uh, hyper-spiritual would be this. I have a point to make, and I'm going to make it at any cost. That's not what I'm saying. And there's place for us to debate and to talk about the deeper things of the word. God's word can be delved into, and that's so important. But when it comes to being in our home, spiritual conversation is really just conversation. But with a point of intentionality, real conversation, being able to sit across the table from the members of your household, again, whatever that, whatever that looks like, parents, children, roommates, adult, adults, uh, uh, adult, young adults living with parents, what, whatever that mix would be, to be able to sit down and just ask the question, how are you? How are you? And then actually leave room to hear the answer and to explore that a little bit. To ask, there's one, one thing that I, I, we use in our home, uh, my wife and I use uh, quite often. We'll say, well, what are you mad about? What are you glad about? What are you sad about? And what are you anxious about? Mad, glad, sad, and anxious. By the way, this list is in the notes today, uh, so you can access those uh, and, and, and put them into use in your home. Mad, glad, sad, and anxious. What are you mad about? What is bugging you? What's, what, what are things that, that are just weighing on you? What are you glad about? What are you celebrating in your life? I think so often we go through our weeks, we don't even realize the things that could be celebrated, points of victory, th- thrive stories. We love to call them thrive stories. There are thrive stories happening in your home, right under your, right under your, your, your purview that you may be missing because you're not asking. What are you sad about? What's weighing on you? What, what are some things that you're sad about? And what are you anxious about? You know, anxiety levels as a nation across the board are through the roof right now. Whether you, for children, for youth, for young adults, for adults, for older adults, anxiety levels at, a level, levels, are, at levels never seen throughout our nation's history. We have to take time to talk those things out. And can I say this? It requires a space that is set aside to have those conversations that you would be able to ask, what are you mad about, glad about, sad about, or anxious about without judgment, without trying to fix it, that we would get really good at listening to what those answers would be. Can I tell you the presence of God dwells in those places? The presence of God 
dwells in the midst of the fellowship and the relationship with what that we have. Spiritual conversation is just asking the question, how can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you? Asking the question, what have you been hearing? What have you been hearing from or learning about God? What is God speaking to you? I tell you, parents, for your younger kids especially, but for all ages, but you'll be blown away if you sit down with your toddlers and your preschoolers and your elementary age and say, what are you learning about God? And then just listen to what they say. There's a reason that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these because they just see with an unfiltered view. And there's so much we can learn from our children about the presence of God in our lives. Or we could ask our children, and we could ask our, our spouses, we could ask our family members and even our friends and say, well, what questions may you have? What do you have? What questions do you have about who God is? Or what questions do you have in general? Maybe that's even a good question to ask. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. God's temple, as it was built in the Old Testament, starting with the tabernacle and then becoming the temple that was built in Jerusalem, was called God's house. It was the place where his spirit dwelt. It's the place where his spirit dwelt. Well, now there is no temple on the mount, on the mount in Jerusalem that the temple of God is us. It's the believers. It's the family of God. And he says that God's spirit dwells in our midst. I love that word dwells. Dwells means this, that it's where he lives. It's where he resides. It's where uh, the, the space that he occupies. In fact, we use that word dwell. We turn it into the word dwelling. And it's the term we use to describe a home, a place that we live. Paul says, God's spirit dwells in your midst. God is here. Wherever you are right now, in your home, wherever, it, wherever you are, God is here. We have to turn our attention and say, God, acknowledge your presence. I worship you. I welcome you. I want your presence to, to be known in this space. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthian church in 3.17. He says, now this, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, say it with me, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in 1 Corinthians, he says that, that, that God, that you are God's temple and his spirit dwells with, uh, dwells in your midst. And then he goes on to say where the spirit of the Lord is, where in your midst, there is freedom. And so many of the places where we struggle and we're stuck and we feel like we have, where we have no freedom, where the enemy is coming against us, God says, my spirit brings freedom. His very presence brings freedom. Church, dear ones, family, we have to invite the presence of God into our home on a daily basis. Because it's in our home that the enemy is going to come against us. We have to put God 
first. And again, it seems like it goes without saying, but we forget. We forget. We get busy. We get distracted. And as Paul says in Ephesians 6, the battle for your home, the battle for your life, the battle is not a physical battle. The people around you are not the enemy. The battle that is waging is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. He says that we battle not and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the enemy who would seek to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a battle for your heart, for your mind, for your emotions, and for your relationships. It's a battle for your marriage. It's a battle for your children. It's a battle that you fight against the past because we all bring into our homes the issues and the, and, and the problems that, that we have dealt with for even generations in our families. I love this. Uh, Pete Scazzaro writes in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says that Jesus may be in my heart, but grandpa is in my bones. And so much of what we face and the issues we face really come because of things that we've brought into our home from our past. That's a battle that we that we fight, that the enemy wants to exploit those things. And too often, hear me in this, too often we strive in our own strength to fix it. We try to do it alone. We try to figure out a way around it. We try to figure out a fix and a solution, or we suffer in silence. But here's what we need to do as a very first point of order. The very first thing, the very first step is this, that we would invite the presence of God into our homes together, together. Now, I know that not everyone lives in a home where where everyone honors or loves Jesus or is in walking in relationship with Jesus. And in those places, you don't force that. Then you take your stand in the authority that God has given you. But for those who live in homes where, where your spouse, your children, your roommates, whatever that looks like, are people who love Jesus, are followers of him, are children of God, that you find places and you find times to invite the presence of God into your home together. And I, I just shared that list before. Practice his presence. Invite his presence. One of the things I've done over the years when I've uh, counseled couples who are, are facing challenges in their marriage so often will find that, that it's just really even difficult after you know, maybe there's been a season of hurt and frustration that even finding the right things to say becomes really difficult. And so often the words that will just come out of our mouths uh, will bring pain and will actually make the situation worse. It's the gasoline right on the fire. And we've all been there. I have been there so many times where I've had a thought that has formed in my mind because of frustration in my heart and the emotion that I'm feeling. And, and I've thought this, don't you dare say that out loud. But what happens? And that word comes out, that sentence comes out, that hurtful thing comes out, and man, we just spiral down from there. And so one of the things I've encouraged couples to do in the past, whether or not they've done it, I, I don't know, but I, I think it's something that is, is worth trying is this, to sit across the table from each other, to not be standing. Standing can be a, a, a kind of a fighting posture to sit down, and then to just put a Bible between the two of them. It sounds silly, but just bear with me for a second. 
to set a Bible between the two of them. And then I encourage the couple as they're having a conversation or maybe experiencing some, some strife and some tension in their relationship or even anger to, to go, hey, before you say the words that, need, that, that you want to say or you feel like you need to say, would you imagine those words coming out of your mouth and being filtered through the word of God? And then just picture, even seeing the words form and fly through the air, how much of what you say will actually come out on the other side if we're filtered through the word of God? And we can all do this practically. We can think, we should be thinking about hey, is, is this something that we'll build up? Is this something we practice the presence of God and we invite the presence of God when we contemplate and we think about the words that we say? See, we have to commit ourselves as a team, as a household, as a family to be able to say, we want the presence of God. And silly little things like that, it seems silly, little tools like that can really go a long way in helping to remind us that we need the presence of God in our homes. I want to close with this passage out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes this, a lot of Paul this morning, but Paul writes this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Here's what you'll notice. If you commit yourself as a team, as a home, as a couple, as a family to inviting the presence of God, what you will notice is that there will be a shift and there will be a change in the way that you speak to each other and the things that you think about and the things that you believe about each other. And then next week, we're going to talk about expectations. There will be a shift in your expectations of yourself and of your family. Paul says, if anything, if anything, whatever is, rather, whatever is true, if it's, if it's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. This is practicing the presence of God. This is inviting God to distill, to filter what's happening in our souls, in our minds, in our emotions. Church, this is the first step that we need to take to thrive in our homes. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we don't have to go to go it alone. In fact, we have the greatest ally. We have you available to us, ready to walk with us, encourage us, strengthen us, build us up to speak to us that your presence, your very presence will drive back the darkness, will set the enemy running. So Lord, I pray that you that, that your presence would fill our homes. I pray that we would become more aware of your presence and that we would commit ourselves to inviting you into our homes, into uh, our relationships, into our parenting, into our marriages, Lord, into our friendships. God, we need you. Help us to put you first. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, I want to invite you to join us next week. Maybe invite someone to join with you as we talk, as we continue talking about thriving at home. And we're going to talk about expectations. So look forward to seeing you then. God bless you.